Have you been blessed already this morning? I have too. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be reading there in just a moment. Before I begin, I want to encourage you to do a couple of things this morning. Uh, First, two weeks from this morning, we will begin our spiritual growth emphasis for 2015 with a man named Jerry White. He'll be speaking in both of our morning services. And then each evening, Sunday night through Wednesday night, and we want to encourage you to be here. If you've not already marked your calendars for February 22nd through the 25th, I want to encourage you to do so and set that time aside as a time for the Lord to speak to you in your walk with Him. And to help us prepare for that, we gave out last Sunday 21-day prayer guides starting last week so that we could pray as a congregation together each day uh, for revival in our own hearts, in our congregation, in our community, in our state. And so if you did not get one of those, there's two ways you can get one. There may still be some in the balcony. I think there are. There are definitely two boxes here at the end of the front pew. I would encourage you to get your paper copy so you can have it with you. Uh, the other option is to go to our website at winbaptist.org, and you can download a copy there if you're more digitally inclined And you can take it with you then on your phone or your iPad or however you like to read things. And that will be available to you. Also, since we are studying about prayer, and we're studying the Lord's Prayer right now, and we're going to move into a study of corporate prayer uh, later in March, I want to encourage you to do something for me today. And I don't know if I'll do this next week, but I'm going to do it this morning in both services. In the little tear-off tab, our communication card, uh, there's a little place where you can write down prayer requests, and we always encourage you to jot those down. I want to ask you to jot something else down, if you would take a moment to do that. You can do that as you're listening to the sermon. Uh, I'm giving you permission to do that as you think about this and consider this. What are the questions that you have about prayer? When you think about your prayer life, when you think about praying, what are the questions that you have about prayer? And if you have a question, if you'll jot that down, It will be helpful, and I won't be able to answer each one individually, but we'll be able to answer some of those in coming weeks as we continue our study of prayer. So what questions do you have about that? Fill that out, drop that in the offering uh, bucket as it comes by, and that'll be a help to your pastor as we study together as a church. Matthew chapter 6, we have been studying for several weeks now. We begin in verse 5 of Matthew 6. And Jesus teaches through verses 5 through 8 some of the basic principles that most affect your prayer life. He says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, when you have shut your door, Pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. And so Jesus immediately tells us the things that most affect your prayer life. The the first has to do with motivation. We've seen that. Is it about being heard or seen by others, or is it just about me and him? 
location speaks to that. He says, go in your room, shut the door. So your motivation to be alone with him shows up in the location that you choose to pray. If the only time you pray is at at mealtime, the only time you pray is in a Sunday school class, something is not right in your prayer life. There needs to be more than that. There's this desire, motivation to be alone with him and to go to a place where it's just you and him. And the last one is communication. When you talk to him, he already knows you, knows everything about you, and you can just be yourself. And so the principle of communication Jesus taught affects your prayer life. If you think you have to impress God or inform God, you're missing something very significant that he wants you to know. But then he gives us this model prayer. It's a pattern. It's a template. Categories, topics, things that you and I are to pray about. He says in verse 9, In this manner therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that's a request. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And that's our verse for the morning. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And what we've seen so far is the Father wants us to come to him as a child comes to his dad. And that that's the starting point for your prayer life is that recognition that he is your father. And learning to trust him like that. Learning to come to him like that. And then there are these, these three petitions in rapid succession where he says, your name, let it be made holy. You know, I've been thinking about that this week. That's really a cry for revival. That everyone in the church and everyone in the community and everyone on the planet would know that he is God and that he is holy and he is to be honored and he is to be worshiped. Your name, let it be holy. He says, your kingdom, let it come. He says, your will, let it be done on earth. And then we come to verse 11 which is our focus today. The title of this morning's message is Carry Your Needs to Him. Carry Your Needs to Him. And again in verse 11 it says, Give us this day our daily bread. So we've been learning to pray. And if I want to learn about something like leadership in the world, I might study someone like Winston Churchill. If I wanted to learn how to be a soccer pro, I might call up Pele and go visit him and say, teach me how to play soccer. If I want to learn how to do evangelism really well, I might go visit Billy Graham. But if I want to learn how to pray, I need to listen to Jesus. Because no one prayed like Jesus. No one knew his father and went to him and spent time alone with him like Jesus. And the evidence that the Father had been with him was so very, very clear. We're talking today about how to pray for yourself and your needs. And it's pretty amazing when you read things like your name, let it be made holy, your kingdom, let it come, your, your will, let it be done on earth. And now we come to give us this day our daily bread. And it seems, it seems like it's odd to pray for your needs. A mother was taking her boy to McDonald's, her five-year-old son to McDonald's one time. And there was an auto accident in the road. Cars were bent up. Some people appeared to be hurt. And so the mother had taught him that we prayed about things like that. And so she pointed over to the, the wrecked vehicle. She said, we need to pray. And immediately the boy said, oh, God, 
Let the entrance to McDonald's not be blocked by all those cars. <laughs> and sometimes when we pray for our needs, it may sound like that. And, um, and we have to trust our Father to sort those things out. What is it that Jesus is teaching me about praying for my needs? There are four things I see in this passage. First, he cares for me and my needs. That's the very first thing. It's so obvious. He cares for me and my needs. You need to believe that. You need to know that. Do you ever wonder if anyone cares about you? I can tell you right now in the authority of God's word and my own experience and testimony and the testimony of many people here, God loves you, he cares for you. Jesus said to his followers, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In Hebrews 13 and in Deuteronomy 31, he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. In Psalm 27, David testified, he said, though my mother and father forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. It is his heart to look after you. And he cares not just about your soul, he cares about your needs as an individual. Remember what we read just now back in verse 8. He said, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Already knows. Now bread, in Jesus' day and to this day in many parts of the world, including the Middle East, bread is, is a basic staple part of life, part of every meal. And it was absolutely essential for survival, particularly in places where they didn't have much protein. In John 6, in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus asked his disciples, where will we buy bread that these may eat? He cares about the fact. Here's 5,000 people. They came to listen to him. In that day and time, what you ate in a day, you earned in a day. If you were going to eat that day, it's because you went to work and earned something that day. And here were 5,000 people. They had not worked that day. They had sat there at the feet of Jesus. They had listened to him. They had followed him. They had, they had watched him. And Jesus said, how are we going to feed this group? Jesus cared for them. Thousands of people. And he cared for their needs. And so Jesus tells us to pray and ask for our daily bread. And in doing that, he's telling us to ask about our basic needs, not our luxuries. As one preacher said, pray for your needs, not your greeds. I thought that was cute. In James chapter 4, verse 3, the apostle says, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. You and I have to trust that when I pray about something, that if I need it, everything I need, not one thing more, not one thing less, everything I need, my Father will give to me. He will provide for me. And I need to trust him for our needs. He promises to meet your needs. You say, well, I have a job. I go to work. I take care of myself. Who gave you the health so you could go to work? Who gave you the job so you had a place to go and work? He says in Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your need, not just some of your needs. He says all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And so no request is too small. And one of the reasons you and I struggle so when crises come and we have big needs is we are not talking to him about the smaller ones on a day-by-day -day basis. And so every day I need to come to him with my needs. Lynn Sullivan for some years was a pastor of a small church in Tupelo, Mississippi, Parkway Baptist Church. 
In the mid-1980s, he and his family moved to Saskatchewan in Canada. And he tells this story. He said, as a bivocational church planter, part of my support was funded by the local mission. Most of the months were financially difficult. One week in April, when the ground was still frozen and snow-covered, we were down to a few dollars in the bank. Our usual reaction was to look for our own solution. This time, however, in a stroke of faith, I went before God and told him that we needed eggs, bread, and milk. Eggs, bread, and milk. I would wait on him. That afternoon, a man came to my little fix-it shop with a leaky tea kettle. He said, I know I could get another, but it's my favorite kettle. Please fix it. In minutes, the job was done, and I didn't even charge him for it, he writes. But he pulled out a $10 bill and insisted that I take it. It was enough to buy a gallon of milk, a dozen eggs, and a loaf of bread. Not anymore, but in the mid-1980s. Exactly what he trusted God for. Exactly what he needed for that day. God provided for him. So practically, how can you apply this to your prayer time? Here's the statement. Consciously release responsibility to meet your needs to your Father. Release that responsibility to him. As the song says, let it go. Don't burst out in song, please. But let that responsibility go to take care of you. Who is responsible to take care of you? You may have a job, you may work hard, but who takes care of you? The Father does, always, and let him be that one always who is going to take care of you. So what's Jesus teaching us, teaching me about praying for my needs? First is this, he cares about me and my needs. No need is too small, but he's also teaching us this, number two, he made me to live my life one day at a time. Live my life, he's teaching me, one day at a time. He's, he talks about our daily bread. Give us this day, first time he refers to the day, our daily bread, second time he refers to the day. When you see something repeated in Scripture, it's significant. Give us this day our daily bread. What's he saying? Every day matters. Every day matters. In Psalm 90 verse 12, the psalmist says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What does it mean to number our days? I believe it means simply this, every day, not just to have a number on it, but every day is a separate day and is a gift from God. Every day is a gift. In Psalm 139, verse 16, the Bible says, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. The days fashioned for me. These are days, each day, written in his book, each day fashioned, molded, shaped, constructed, thought about, planned, each day written in his book. And that means immediately that I need to know that no day is wasted. No day is filler. No day is just about waiting. Each day is a gift from God. So what's the obstacle for you and me to live one day at a time? What's the greatest obstacle that you face? Worry and fear. 
worry, and fear. If I'm going to live one day at a time, I need to refuse to fear the future. In fact, I can't even let my mind go there. In Matthew 6, 34, Jesus said, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Just a few verses later. Do not worry about tomorrow. Later on in the New Testament, Peter writes this, that, that therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care, all your care upon him, for he cares for you. He's not saying that it's wrong to buy insurance, that it's wrong to plan for the future, plan for retirement. But he is saying to take all of your worries about the future, all of your cares, and cast them onto Jesus. And I could argue with you all day long about how irrational you and I become when we fear something that hasn't happened yet. And how irrational it is that you and I worry. But Jesus doesn't say it's irrational. He just says, take them and cast them on Jesus. Let him worry about it. (laughs) He's the one that's taking care of you. Let him deal with it. He does not want you to be so preoccupied with the future that you spend your life on the future and you fail to live your life today. So daily provision is part of his way of God helping us to focus on one day at a time. In the Old Testament, we see this illustrated in the manna that fell from heaven each day. Exodus 16, 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Each day, the manna, the bread from heaven that they needed fell from heaven. And if you go back and read that account, if they gathered too much, more than what they needed for the day, what did it do? It rotted, didn't it? Turned nasty. Had worms. It was no good. They only got what they needed for that day. Now, you know, on the Sabbath, they gathered a little more, didn't they? For the next day, because they didn't work on the Sabbath. And so... So God provided what they needed on that day, knowing ahead of time they were going to need more the next day. And that's how God provides for you and for me. So practically, this means that you and I, as you and I pray about our day, if we're we're following this pattern for prayer, this is how Jesus would have prayed about his day. He would have looked at his day, he would have got out his day timer, His iPhone, his iPad, his notepad, whatever he used to to look at his day. And and he would have prayed over everything in his day. Lord, today I'm going to go to Capernaum. And Lord, I know that there's going to be a crowd that comes. And Lord, whatever I need to meet the needs of that crowd, I'm asking you to grant me. Lord, I have an appointment at 10 o'clock with so-and-so. Father, would you grant me favor as I meet with that person? Would you grant me insight so that I'll have what I need in that meeting? And Lord, at lunch, I'm going to see you so-and-so. Or at work today, we have this big meeting, and it's really important, and we've got to make a good decision. And so, oh God, would you help me contribute? Would you help guide me so that we'll make the right decision? And so we take each aspect of our day. Give us this day our daily bread. Yes, what we need for that day. And covering our day 
bringing it to him and asking him at each moment of that day to be there, to be involved, to lead us and to guide us. A friend of mine named Ben some years ago was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Ultimately, he, he left this world. He's with Jesus now. And Ben was a friend, and, and I, he used to do things with me that friends ought to do for one another. Uh, when I hadn't seen him for a long time, he was always going to ask me the same question. I knew it was coming. I even thought about what was I going to say, because Ben was always going to ask me. If I hadn't seen him for a long time, he would say, Don, how's your heart? That's what friends ask one another. Don, how's your heart? And the last time I saw Ben in a hospital room before he died, this is what he said to me. He said, you know, since I got this diagnosis, what really matters has changed a lot. It does that, doesn't it, when you get a diagnosis like that? What really matters has changed a lot. I'm a lot more focused on today, just today, not next week or next month or next year, and my family and the people I come in contact with. This is the way I should have been living all along. You know, when the Bible tells us to number our days, when we realize our days are numbered, we begin to live the way that we're always supposed to live every day and treat it with that same care. So practically, how can you apply this to your prayer time? Here's the statement. Live in the now and leave the future in his hands. Live in the now and leave the future in his hands. So what is Jesus teaching us? First, that he cares about me and my needs. He's teaching us to live one day at a time, live our life one day at a time. But there's a third lesson in this verse, and it's this, number three. He uses my needs as a daily reminder to depend on him. The first words are give us. A daily reminder to depend on him. Are you the kind of person that hates asking for help? I'm not going to ask anybody to show hands. I can see some of you elbowing somebody, looking at somebody. Are you the kind of person that hates to ask for help? Do you know why some of you are that way? I'm not saying all of you are this way. But do you know why some of you are that way? Because when you ask for help, you're admitting need. You're admitting need, that you don't have the resources in yourself to do something. In James chapter 4, verse 2, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. And one of the reasons you and I struggle so in our prayer life is we don't take needs, requests to him. Abraham Lincoln once said, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. Oswald Chambers said, here's the truth. He said, we tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. So here's the truth about the needs that you have in your life right now. Every need that you have right now in your life has the same purpose, the same purpose. He allows need to come into your life so that you will come to him. He allows need to come in your life so that you will come to him. 
every need you have has the same purpose. It may have other purposes. God may be working something out in your life through the needs that you have. But one of those is always there, and that's drawing you to himself. You remember in the Old Testament, I just read about the manna. Have you ever thought about why he let the people get hungry? Why did he let the people get hungry who were out there in the wilderness? Listen to Deuteronomy 8.3. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger. There it is. You think God won't let you experience need? He will let you experience need. He allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. If you will remember that every need you have is a call to go to the Father, you will sustain your prayer life all your days. Because <laughs> who, who here doesn't have a need? <laughs> it's unanimous. We all have needs. Our problem is that we don't go to him with every need. And when we do go, we don't persist. We don't keep going to him until we have an answer. There was a woman one time who lost an expensive diamond brooch when she went to the opera. She called the opera house where she had worn it. She described it and she told the man where she was seated. He said, well, hold on a moment. He put her on hold and he went looking for it. And he had to look a long time, but he finally found it. He was excited. He goes back to the phone. He takes her off hold. He says, hello, ma'am, I found it. She'd hung up. She was gone. He didn't have her number, didn't know her name. They even put an ad in the paper. And she never got it. Why? Because she didn't wait. She didn't hang on. <laughs> she didn't keep bringing that need in her heart and waiting for that man on the other end of the line. And you and I need to be very different with our needs. We need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, here it is. And know that every time you have a need that's not met, what does he want you to do with that? He wants you to keep carrying that need to him. Carry that need to him. I brought with me this morning a crutch. Years ago, Gail had to have a crutch for something, so we've got a crutch in the house. If you need to borrow a crutch, we've got crutches. Right, Gail? And, um, and when you have a crutch, typically it's because you can't support your own weight for whatever reason. You have you, uh, your legs broken or damaged or doesn't work or whatever and so you need a crutch and and that crutch as long as you're using that crutch always reminds you that you are dependent on something else other than your own strength and your needs are that way they remind you that you always need to depend on him and rest fully on him to take care of you so practically, how can you apply this to your prayer time? Here it is. Let every need challenge your independence and carry you to a deeper dependence on him. Let every need do that. Don't waste your needs. <laughs> They're intended to bring you to him. So what's Jesus teaching me about my needs? First, that he cares about me and my needs. Second, to live my life one day at a time. Third, to see needs as a reminder to depend on him. But there's a final reason that I believe Jesus gave us this, this teaching in this verse. Number four, 
He calls me to be more attentive to what he is doing than getting my material needs met. You say, well, how do you get that from give us this day our daily bread? Because of what comes before it and what comes after it. You saw what came before it. We start off with our relationship, our Father. We have these three great petitions. Your name, let it be made holy. Your kingdom, let it come. Your will, may it be done. And then we're ready to talk about our needs. Then we're ready to come to the Father. So these things should come first. These are the things that should matter the most to us. They're the things that are most important. After this, later in verses 31 to 33, Jesus said, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Those are your basic needs. For after all these things the Gentiles seek. But your heavenly Father knows. He knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. It's about priority. It's not that they don't matter. He cares about them. It's not that you should ignore them. No, you should bring them to the Father. But they should be secondary to the purposes and the plans that God has for you that day. And He has plans for you. It's easy for you and I to lose ourselves in the busy details of any given day. To become so preoccupied like Martha with doing the dishes getting into the details of our work, getting into the details of some problem or some need, or or, or even long-term thinking so much about details and business and things that I have to do today and things that I have to do tomorrow that I forget that we serve a God who wants every man and woman and boy and girl on the planet to know Him. And that I'm here to help others know Him that I exist for that mission, that that's what he's called me to, not just to come on Sunday and listen to the sermon and the Sunday school lesson and say, well, that one was pretty good, that one not so much, but to live for him, his vision, his mission, his plans. Are you listening? Are you paying attention to the king's priorities for your life? The things he has for you today that contribute to the spreading of the gospel. Or are you bogged down in the details of your life? The fact is our father is a king and he is at work in the lives of people around us. There are no accidents or chance meetings in your day. There are people that you encounter who desperately need Jesus. And if you're preoccupied, you may miss that moment. There are people that you encounter who just, you, you pass them in the store, you may nod at them, you may know them, they may be an acquaintance, they may be someone you've known many, many years, and, and you know that they don't know Jesus. And those are moments where the kingdom is to come first. We spend our lives trying to secure our lives here where we will not stay. We need to spend our lives alert to the ruling presence and power of God. Lord, what are you doing in this conversation? Lord, how do you want me to respond to this person? Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? Father, what do you want me to do and to be today? And that inner conversation can be going on all day long, and that's what I believe he means when he says, seek first the kingdom of God. The ruling power and presence of God all day long. Let that be your preoccupation. 
a week ago last Saturday, a man named Steve Hayner passed away, died from pancreatic cancer. Steve was president of Columbia Theological Seminary in Georgia. He was a past president of InterVarsity Fellowship. Uh, I can't, time doesn't allow me to tell you all the neat things that this man did over the course of his life. Right out of college, he went to be the college minister, university pastor at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington, early 70s. And uh, he was involved with students and faculty at the university. When he started, he started a Bible study with a group of 17 students, but it literally grew to 1,200 students. I mean, the man just simply loved the Lord Jesus, and he was contagious in that. Right after his diagnosis in July last year, he wrote in his blog these words, Many are praying for one of God's big miracles. We are as well. But it is not how God answers prayer that determines our response to God. God is committed to my ultimate healing. But being cured of my cancer may or may not be a part of that healing work. More important, it is is God's overall presence with us, sustaining us for whatever might be God's call to my life today. Today, my call might be to learn something new about rest. Today, my call might be to encourage another person in some very tangible way. Today, my call might be to learn something new about patience, endurance, and the identification with those who suffer. Today, my call might be to mull through a new insight about God's truth and character. As the disease progressed, and Steve knew he was losing the battle. Last October, he was interviewed by a friend. The interview was put in Christianity Today magazine. He said, when we talk about calling, every day is full. Every day in the middle of our circumstances, we have the opportunity and the challenge to figure out what our calling that day is in relationship to our circumstances. Now I need to look at my life in shorter pieces. I can't look at it in pieces much more than a day long. The question is not, what are my plans? The question is, how am I going to be faithful, whatever the circumstances? And then in his final post on CaringBridge, it's a website where people track progression of an illness. After explaining, this was January 1st, it's over a month ago, after explaining that he had said goodbye to his oncology team that he had walked with for eight months, and there was nothing more they could do. And he bypassed experimental treatments that were available to him. And he was now under the care of what he said was a very wonderful hospice team. Steve closed with these words. I remain committed to the conviction that every day still contains both a call from God and journey from which I need to learn. Today, I'm just relaxing into the gratitude of having such good care. Today, I'm not afraid, though some fears will undoubtedly sneak up on me as I get sicker. Today, I'm trying to be attentive to what is happening to me without feeling like I have to be responsible for everything. Today, I am living once again into joy. Steve Hayner, like many of us who learn the worth of a day when faced with our final days, lived more in his last days than he did at any other time in his life. So practically, how can you apply this to your prayer time? Focus on receiving and living out everything he wants to do 
today. Today. It's your gift. It's one he's fashioned for you. It's here now. It cannot be taken from you. What does he have for you today? If you're here this morning, you came and someone invited you, or you came with a family member, or you've been here a long time, but you know that you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You know you've not been saved. You know your sins haven't been forgiven. The most important thing you can do today is to give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. Can I tell you how important prayer is? Prayer is so precious and so valuable that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you could anytime, anywhere, and any place come into the presence of a holy God. That's how precious prayer is. And he wants you to be able to approach him in the name of Jesus. He wants you to approach him with the forgiveness that Jesus can give to you. He wants you to approach him with the same privileges and liberties that Jesus, the Son of God, has. But that privilege and that freedom and that liberty and that forgiveness is yours only when you receive it as a gift through Jesus Christ. The Bible says he died on the cross for your sins. That's the greatest problem you have right now in your life. Your sin, everything you've done that has been offensive to a holy God, separates you from him. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took all of your sins, your past, your present, and your future sins, onto himself. And on that cross, God poured out the punishment, the justice that your sins deserved. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, died in your place. The Bible says to prove that sins could be forgiven, he was raised from the dead. And this morning, if you will put your trust in Jesus Christ, not in yourself, not in your goodness, not what you can do to be righteous before God, but only in him, and put your trust in his sacrifice for your sins, his righteousness, his goodness, put your trust in him, the Bible says he will save you. That God sent his only beloved son into this world. He gave him. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have or will possess everlasting life. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. I'm going to invite you, if you need to receive Christ, to come. There'll be pastors standing at the end of each aisle. And they'll pray with you. They'll share scripture with you. If you have questions, they'll take you aside. They'll answer your questions. And we invite you to come. And then Christian, saint, child of God, are you ready to start living every day as a precious gift from him? Do you find yourself covered up with worry, preoccupied with the future, distracted by fears? Will you embrace today what God has for you today? Let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. This time of response is an opportunity for you and I to worship him in response to what he has said to our heart. And So what has God said to you? Take a moment and think about what has God said to you? Not to the church, but to your heart. And how will you respond to him this morning? What do you need to say to him? What do you need to request or leave at his feet. Maybe it's a burden, a load. 
of anxiety and fear that you've been carrying. And he has said that he's with you. He's called you to climb in the yoke with him. But his yoke was easy. So when you're burdened and weighed down, that's not the way he wants you to live. He wants you to be free. So the altar's open. How will you respond to him? Father, thank you, Lord, for your word, its power, the purity of thought, the clarity of meaning, and the way your Holy Spirit applies it to our minds and to our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you come and guide us each, each of us, according to our need, as we respond to you now in worship. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stand with me? Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the price you paid. Bearing all my sin and shame in love you Gave amazing grace. Thank you for this love, Lord. Let him take care of you. Thank you for nail-pierced hands. Washed me in your cleansing flow. Now all I know, your forgiveness you for the cross Lord. sing from your heart to him thank you for the price you paid thank you Lord bearing all my sin and shame
Let's pray together. Precious Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for all the things that we have sung to you today. We give you praise, truly all the honor, all the glory is yours. Everything that we are has come from you. Everything that we have has come from you. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us about prayer and how to pray. And we as a church family, we commit ourselves, Lord, before you to become known as a house of prayer in Wynn, Arkansas. To be a place where people know that if they need someone to pray for them, that that's the place they can go. And Father, as we grow in this journey, we, we, uh, we acknowledge this morning that we have so much still to learn, so many lessons, so many things to come. But Father, we simply rest in you as our teacher and our guide. We are confident that you will accomplish all of your purposes that you have for each of us and for this church. Lord, would you take these gifts and receive them as acts of worship from our heart to yours. May you be pleased in using them to do ministry. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.